Okay. All right. As I said, all the kids to the front, you knew the routine though, right? All you guys knew the routine. Uh, all the kindergarten through fifth grade uh, come to the front and threes, fours, and fives who are probably already gathering uh, to the back. But I want to say that especially to you visitors that your children are welcome to join. And matter of fact, we always say if you'd like to go with them and just see what they're doing, uh, see where they're going, you're welcome to, to definitely go with them. So uh, we invite you to do that. I've, I'm getting batteries for my regular, so I'm going to have to hold this thing, which is not good for me because sometimes I don't know what to do with It is because I don't know what to do with my hands sometimes, so you stick them in your Well, anyway, prevents that. Uh, good morning, man. It's good to see you this morning. Really enjoyed the new attenders night. Good group of people uh, that, that now I remember their names, okay? So later on, I probably will miss them up again because that's the way my brain works. But, but we really had just a, a good night, so I praise God for that, uh, getting acquainted with some of you. And, and so thank you for coming, those who did. Some of you might have missed it uh, because of other things happening. So we're going to do another one here um, in a matter of just a few weeks. So we'll be inviting again. would love for you to come over to our house and just be a part of that. I want to start with a question this morning. Uh, basic about the church's mission, I mean our mission. What, what is the message that people desperately need to hear from the church? Yeah, think about it just for a second. I, I think you all, you all know, many of you are, are thinking of words and terms and, and, and thoughts as to what that might be. Um, I, I know that uh, we, we might say gospel. Well, it's that gospel message. What is that? Thank you. Thank you. All right. Good. I found it. I told him, I said, hey, this was on. He says, oh, it was on. So over the week, uh, our batteries went dead. So Eric does a good job keeping me well prepared. But when it's on and the batteries are shot, yeah, well, anyway. So thank you, Eric. Um, oops. Uh, I need his help again. No, no, I don't. I, I think I got this. All right, we're good. We're good. Anyway, getting back to that question, what is the good news? Well, it's God loves you, right? Or, or as we've heard it, God, God has a great plan for your life, or Jesus gets us, right? We might have seen the commercials. Perhaps it's in that John 3.16. Someone thought that was such a great message, they put it in the end zones for a long time. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever uh, believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's the contents of the gospel message. Let me ask you more of a personal question. What is the message that has drawn you? What, is, you know, what specifically is the message that has drawn you to be a part of what we do here and, and, and meeting on Sunday mornings? And there are various reasons or, or, or messages that we're listening to. Perhaps it's that message of, of well, it's kind of tradition for me. This, this is, you know, where I was raised and been a part of all my life. Uh, or perhaps we're sitting next to our spouse and, hey, I'm coming here because my spouse uh, is, is connected and, you know, I want to support and I think it's a good thing. Uh, maybe that's it. You know, I, I, I want to know what it means to live right and good and, and be a good person. Maybe it's relational, you know, hey, there's a lot of good people here and and uh, I, I'm really connected to them. 
I, I, I definitely had my start in, in one of those things of connecting with the church. But overall, what we're looking at in Peter's message lays a foundation for belonging. Peter's message in, in Acts chapter 2 lays out the, the, the greatest, the best reason for belonging. So whatever reason, man, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. But as we're looking at this Acts chapter 2, there, there is this foundational reason, a solid reason for belonging and being a part of the church, of his church. All right? Uh, so we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we left off from last week, beginning verse uh, 22. And, and actually, we're going to go through the whole sermon. Someone suggested, just read the sermon. Someone wants to get to lunch early or something. But anyway, uh, I'm going to read that here in just a minute. Let me, let me pray for us as we open God's word. Father in heaven, we praise you. We thank you for the opportunity we have to gather this morning. Uh, Lord, we all appreciate uh, the time that's set aside to where your people could come together, open your word, and Lord, we want to hear you. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear your words uh, be directed by your spirit. Father, for leading and guiding our lives. Uh, Father, so we pray today as it's being read, as, as we're looking at some details of this, context of this, Lord, we pray that the foundation that we have, that we're standing upon, is solid. And, and Lord, so we, as we look this morning, guide us, lead us uh, with your precious word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, last week, just to kind of lead you to where the beginnings of, of chapter 2 comes up until uh, Peter's well into his sermon. Uh, it is the day of Pentecost. They are gathered together like they've been doing uh, in the upper room, uh, all those disciples, and, and this is the day that, that had been promised. You know, the, the, there's going to become power, there's going to come the Holy Spirit, right? And so he came with, you know, everything that they heard and they saw. It came with a mighty roaring wind and tongues of fire came upon everyone that was uh, in that upper room. And, and the results of that is they began speaking in different languages. It was specific languages of all those that, were, that came for Passover, which was from every direction. It was all around them. They came from uh, north, south, east, west. And, and they had gathered there in Jerusalem, as they do for all those festivals. And, and so they went into the streets, and they began declaring the mighty works of God. Uh, they began talking about the mighty works of God in those languages. And people started uh, you know, paying attention to what they, they heard their words. And they began to follow. Or, uh, follow. We believe they ended up in the temple courts where thousands were able to gather. And, and it's there that, that uh, they continued to speak in, in, in those languages. And people were being drawn. And then Peter... Uh, began to answer the questions because you know there were questions there were some people in awe and and just wondering what's going on there were other people saying hey these people are just drunk and Peter responded said they are not drunk it's too early in the morning to be doing doing that and uh, uh, then he gave the reason he he went to the passage of scripture Joel chapter 2 that said that in the last days, again, identifying the last days as, as between Jesus when he came the first time, his death, resurrection, the beginning of the church, till when he comes again. 
So we're living in those last days. But, but in Joel, it said that, that he is going to pour out his spirit on your sons and your daughters, your, your male slaves, your female slaves. He's going to pour out uh, your spirit upon all people. And, and uh, uh, they're going to prophesy and they're going to do some amazing things. And so he said the reason this is happening because it is the fulfillment of the scriptures, the pouring out of God's spirit. And then Peter begins to speak in verse 22. And so let's, let's read through that a little longer. But uh, listen carefully to his words. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. That God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, then he quotes Psalm chapter 16, 8 through 11. He quotes this passage. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the deaths, the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath, uh, sworn with an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of, what, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This was David's sermon. Actually, uh, the remaining part of David's sermon, because he began by explaining this is what's happening. It's easy to ask, and I think actually easy to answer, you know, what's the subject of David's message? Jesus. Jesus is absolutely, without question, the subject, the topic that, that, that Peter is covering in his message. And in this first sermon, Peter reveals undeniable evidence that Jesus is Lord. Matter of fact, at the end of the sermon, what does he say? He is both Lord and Christ. He is both King and Savior, Lord and Christ. So we will we'll fashion that as we get to the... But there's some points here 
that I think Peter emphasizes, I think is important for us because we want to be existing or living upon a foundation, a message where we have a foundation that's solid and for us to stand upon. So, so let's begin here. The first, the first place uh, th- that I find, a point that he makes is this, that Jesus' identity, it's concerning Jesus' identity. In his identity, there is pro- proof of his lordship or that he is Lord was found in the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. Proof is found in the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. It, these, these are the things that God used to attest to who Jesus is. What does it mean to attest? Well, it means that he proves that, that he is true. That he is true. That, that uh, the, the fact that he is Lord is attested to or proven by the miracles, signs, and wonders that he committed. And I want you to notice at the end that you... Uh, at, at the end of verse 22, that as you yourselves know, the people that have gathered together uh, more than likely were people who witnessed these miracles. They either witnessed it or, or more than likely, if they weren't able to, to see it themselves, they had firsthand uh, eyewitness testimonies. Did you, you can't believe what I saw, that kind of thing. And we know about Jesus' miracles, right? The, the things that Jesus did. I mean, all the healings, uh, things of blindness and, and lame. And, and uh, there's also the leprosy that, that he healed people from. Uh, wonderful things of a great catch of fish, as he called his first disciples. Walking on the water, calming the storm. And, and when you think about those specific uh, miracles that were committed that people saw. There was a number of these miracles that were done, uh, that, that, that were committed before great crowds. Lots of people, lots of witnesses. Uh, there's, there's the case where a man with a withered hand was in the synagogue and, and uh, uh, Jesus healed him before all those who were sending, attending on the Sabbath or, or there in the synagogue on the Sabbath when he healed his hand. And it came into a great controversy. So was in John 9 when he healed a blind man. And, and, and people wanted to know. It, it, it got to be quite an issue, even to the point as, you know, where, where the blind man was being questioned. Well, you know, what did he say? What did he do? Obviously, he's not from God, but, but the blind man ab- absolutely gave testimony to Christ in that. Uh, there was also, uh, think about this, the feeding of 5,000, and then again 4,000. That can't escape you that Jesus used a small boy's lunch and multiplied it to feed that number of people. Uh, also, the, the, the resurrection of, of Lazarus, his friend Lazarus, a great, you know, good number of people gathered there to mourn his death. Well, Jesus spoiled the funeral. You know, all their mourning was, was kind of wasted, right? Because Jesus called him out of the tomb. Jesus committed lots of miracles in front of people, that, lots of witnesses. So he was able to say, as you know, these miracles, these wonders and signs, as you know, you've heard of or you saw yourselves Jesus committing them. Now, let me, let me share with you. When we think about these three words, miracles, uh, maybe some of you in your translation have it translated this way, mighty works, mighty works of God. That's, that's miracles. Um, J.P. Moreland actually was quoted by Lee Strobel in in his book, A Simple Defense. 
writes about miracles this way. A miracle is, is this. The laws of nature are the way we describe how the world usually works. If someone drops an apple, it falls to the floor. That's the law of gravity, right? Okay. However, if someone were to drop an apple and I were to reach over and grab it before it hit the, hit the ground, I, I wouldn't be uh, overturning the law of gravity. I would simply be intervening uh, in, a simpler, in a similar way. God is able to reach into the world that he created by performing a miracle. He isn't contravening or overturning the laws of nature. He's simply intervening. That's why, that's why I do like the translation, mighty works. Uh, because miracles is where God is intervening. And in a world that is ruled by, by all the laws that we know. That's miracles, wonders. Wonders is actually a response of those who are able to witness God's mighty works. It is a response. It's that, that being in awe of or even fear. We're struck with fear when we behold God's mighty works intervening. Or, or even to be in wonder of. In wonder of. So uh, wonder is a, is a response. And, and finally, the signs. When we think about signs, what are, what are the signs? Signs point to something. There, there's, I want you to know that, that when miracles happen, there's a reason and a purpose. It isn't just chaotic and, and here it is. And God has a reason and a purpose. Throughout the scriptures, there's a reason we see miracles happening. Matter of fact, as we even look at the miracles that take place this day... Uh, for Galileans to be able to speak all these different languages that they were in awe of or in wonder of, it pointed to Jesus. And we know this because if we go back to, to what Jesus said concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit, John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus said, When the Helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. See, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to direct people's attention to Jesus, the subject. To direct people's attention to Jesus. That's what he did on this day, to catch the attention of people that are gathering. And that's why they're listening to Peter, because uh, he has their attention because of what the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was able to do. Uh, problem with miracles. Man, sometimes we like to focus on the miracle. Uh, the, the miracle becomes greater than the God who, who works or in, intervenes in, 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 uh, in a moment. Uh, in, in John chapter 6, 26, Jesus did this great miracle of, of feeding the 5,000. Uh, and, and had just done this, crossed uh, the Sea of Galilee, and, and people were following after him. Why? Why? Well, Jesus, he, he answers that question of why. He said, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, which points to Jesus and his identity. This is who he is. Instead, because you are able to, to eat the loaves and, and get your fill. Uh, they, were, they were there for some more lunch, it sounds like. They, they were distracted. They had the signs before them, and, and yet they were more in awe of the, the miracle than they were of Jesus himself. So they followed him for that reason. 
Our faith is not built upon our experiences. Our faith isn't built upon our experiences, but on the facts. Uh, some people think, you, well, to, to come into, a, to, to believing in Christ, you have to leave your brains at the door. No, with Peter's first sermon, I want you to know that he was laying out the very reasons that they could stand with confidence, place their faith upon a Savior who is now alive. Matter of fact, that's the next point that he makes. The second point is this, found in verse 23. Uh, let me read that for you, just the beginning part. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Uh, Here's the point. This was a fulfillment of God's definite plan. Jesus is a fulfillment of what God had put together and, and uh, planned out for our salvation. Where do we find that? It's all in the Old Testament. I, I, I can't help but think that, that more and more I get into the Old Testament and, and realize it. And then I see this. How excited the disciples of Jesus, those who have been sitting with Jesus, listening to him, the lights came on after, after he rose, after the Holy Spirit came, that they were saying, Jesus is the answer to everything we couldn't answer in the Old Testament. It's, it was talking about Jesus. And, and, and now we have an understanding of what God is doing. You know, why God would tell Abraham, he said, hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and it's through you, through that great nation, that all nations are going to be blessed. It's not because you're going to be great and wonderful people. It's because through you, Jesus is coming. And, and other prophecies as well. I can't imagine how excited they were going through the Old Testament and, and just seeing time and time again. That, that's got to be Jesus. He was talking about Jesus. Jesus is coming. See how it's fulfilled. All the prophecies that are laid out pointed to Jesus. And we need to know that's part of the foundation we stand upon. It's not just, oh, the miracles, the miracles that, that he performed and things like that. It's also through the scriptures that we could identify that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Lord, that the truth is spoken. Now, uh, this is planned out by God, as it says. And, in, and the rest of part 23 says that, and you killed him, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This Jesus you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. His plan, that it was all part of his plan, the fact that you killed him and God raised him. You, as he spoke to the Jews, you killed him, God raised him. That was all part of God's plan. It, it was going to happen. I, I can't help but wonder how many times that Jesus had to say, it's not my time yet. The time when he was about pushed off of a cliff around Nazareth, his hometown. And, and, and Jesus walked through the crowd unharmed. It's not my time yet. Or when they picked up stones to, to, to kill him. It's not my time yet. Or sometimes when he described, well, I'm not going to go into this, this place here because it's not my time yet. It was so planned out. And, and when it came to that Passover and Jesus entered into the, into the city, don't you know that he was thinking, now it's the time. Now is the time. And so it was all laid out through God's plan 
and design. Now, who did it? Who is he saying, you crucified, you killed him? Well, it was, as I said, it was the Jews. Specifically, it was the priest, the chief priests. Caiaphas was part of that, right? It was the Pharisees and the elders who had been plotting and trying to find a way to do away with Jesus. It was also people hired to be a part of a crowd to yell for Barabbas, hey, you know, yell for Barabbas. And, and then what do we do with Jesus? Hey, yell, crucify him. A good, good possibility, a number of these people were a part of the 3,000 or the thousands that were gathered together that day listening to what was being said. Oh, yeah, we were part of his crucifixion and his, his death. 24, God raised him. God raised him. And, and again, it was a miracle, right? Mighty act of God. God intervening. You know, the wonders and, and, and the signs. It was his death, which again verifies that Jesus is Lord. His resurrection verifies that Jesus is Lord. When it, when it talks about the pains uh, of, of uh, death, that, that, that they're, they're loosened or they're, they're loosed, uh, the fact is, you know, that word pains is also used in, in the word, in, in the term that, that you ladies would be familiar with, the pains of childbirth. The pains of childbirth. And what I found interesting, uh, G. Bertram said, The abyss can no more hold the Redeemer than a pregnant woman could hold the child in her body. When the, when the baby's ready to come, the baby's going to come, Right? Uh, that, that's just for you ladies, because I don't think the men understand that. Right, ladies? Men don't get that at all. But definitely we know that the baby cannot continue to exist within uh, their moms. That the baby, when, it, when it's time, the baby comes out. And that's, that's the reference. The pains of death could not hold Jesus. He was raised from the dead. He turns to the scripture. Uh, when, when he goes to that Psalm 16, 18 through, I mean, 8 through 11, he goes to that, that passage of Scripture quoting David, King David. And, and it matter of fact, it sounds like, like David's very much a part of this word. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also uh, will dwell in hope. Sounds very much like that could be David. Until it comes to verse uh, 27. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. What was, David's, uh, what was Peter's point? Verse 29, he makes it really clear. In 29, he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. This can't be David. He can't be speaking to David. The whole point of this is uh, God promised David, hey, your throne is going to be eternal. They, King David in the Old Testament, hey, your throne is going to be eternal. And, and even he knew, as he said here, here later, that, that there is going to be a descendant that's, or descendants are going to continue to sit, sit upon your throne. It, it's, that throne's never going to be removed. How is it fulfilled? What, the point that, that Peter is making is that Jesus is the one who fulfills that prophecy. Because, well, listen, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and, and read the next part. Seeing therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him that he would set 
or set one of his descendants on his throne. He foreknew, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. We see, you know, in the verses to come that he is then exalted and placed upon that throne at the right hand of God. Verse 32 is also important. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So let, let me go through the foundation that we have for believing to say, here's what, here's the message. Here's the message that I embrace, and, and here's why I'm here. is because Jesus, attested by God through the miracles, all the things that he did, reveals that he is Lord, that he's Savior. And, and, and the, the scriptures verify the same. They identify the same. One reason, man, one reason why we say get to know his word, I believe that's very much connected with loving God is to knowing his word. So I, I, I want you to invest not only in the Old Testament, but the New Testament. Why the New Testament? Because those very eyewitnesses have created the New Testament. Those who have identified, saw him alive. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, each one testimonies, witnesses, eyewitnesses of Jesus, his words, his actions, his resurrection, including Paul, uh, who was visited by Jesus on that road to Emmaus, or, or to Damascus. Oh, now I, I should have looked that up. Anyway, I, I think it's Damascus. Anyway, so, so as he was confronted by uh, by Jesus in the road, he knew too that he lived, the one he was persecuting. So, so in those three things, understand that there is a foundation we could stand upon. We could, we could have confidence that Jesus is who he said he is. He, he exists today and he lives on our behalf. It, it all comes up to his final point, which, which comes up to this, this point of results Results of this foundation that we could have. Um, and, and he makes this point. All of God's plan and pact means what? Is that Jesus was exalted and is seated today at God's right hand. That e eternal throne. That's the points that he makes in the last remaining verses. 33 through 36. He was exalted being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he was poured out, uh, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Again, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean that he was exalted? Well, we know that he ascended, you know, before the, the apostles and other disciples, he ascended into heaven, right? Where was he taken? Well, here it makes it really clear that he is now seated at the right hand of God. The, the authority of God is now equal to, to now the authority of Jesus. He, he is back in that seat of authority. And, and remember when he said in, in, in Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He, he, is, he is now has that authority equal to what God has, God the Father has, seated at his right hand. Uh, therefore, you know, that's the end result of that is, is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit comes with that. Uh, and, and the fact is that God made him both Lord and Christ. Well, before that, you know, what does it mean that he's seated upon and all that authority? Uh, it's a 
David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. I didn't want to skip over those verses. That, that's the end of the last days. You know, it, there, there's this great conclusion. I believe it's talking about, you know, the judgment to come when all the enemies are just going to become a footstool. That authority is there. So we're, we're really in this part. This last days is better, no better way to say it. We're in a period of waiting. Waiting for what? God's action. God's action to bring it all to completion and, and for Jesus' return, right? That's the period we're in. We're in the midst of those last days until that final time when Jesus has all his enemies as his footstool. Verse 36 says, Let all the house of Israel. This is, you know, he's getting to the climax of his message. He said, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. The, identi the identity of Jesus is Jesus is Lord. What are we saying? Now, we, we know that it's master and that, but when he says Jesus is Lord, he is seated at that right hand. All that authority, the authority of God, belongs to him. He, he's elevated to that place, and he is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. The, the, the last part of, uh, of what Peter quoted earlier from Joel was, if you, for, you know, uh, for those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That, so we also identify not only the outpouring of the Spirit, but also salvation, which comes along with the calling on the name of the Lord. We know who the Lord is, right? We know who He is. The very subject of, of, of Peter's message, Jesus. So when we think about the foundation that we stand upon, listen, listen to the last phrase he says to them. And it's this phrase that stabbed them in their hearts. He said, this Jesus whom you crucified. Remember, we talked about the, the ones who killed him, you know, the Jews, and also the Roman, Romans. I think I left that out. But he said, you know, hey, you used uh, lawless men, meaning, you know, Gentiles, to kill Jesus. It was those Roman soldiers, those cruel Roman soldiers that nailed him to the cross. It was Pilate who was so weak, couldn't stand for man, that he saw as innocent that the Jews wanted to kill, that he finally caved and let them kill Jesus or, or had his soldiers kill Jesus. Now, they're all guilty, right? You crucified Jesus. And that's what they heard. That's what the crowd... Again, in the crowd, there was people there who witnessed the very act or, or, or either heard from an eyewitness of what took place. You crucified him. And they were cut to the heart, stabbed at the heart, and said, what do we need to do? When we think about this message, where do we play that part in Jesus' crucifixion? Because we do. We, we definitely, uh, let me tell you about the connection where we play a part in Jesus' crucifixion. It goes back to 23 that says, hey, this is the plan of God. This is, this is all planned out and, and, and uh been laid out by God from long ago, even from Genesis chapter, you know, chapter 3, uh, when, when it came to, to that prophecy uh, about uh, you know, crushing his head and, and bruising his heel. Uh, 
it, it, it was all planned out long ago. Why? Just because of our overall sinfulness. Because if none of us here this morning could say, hey, I, I don't need Jesus. I'm good enough for God. I, I don't do bad things. I haven't done anything bad. There's nothing that I deserve punishment from God for it. No one here, no one here is able to say that. Whether it was a lie or you might be a real good person and, and maybe one lie. I'm not. I'm not. I deserve condemnation and I, I, I deserve because I am an unholy person who cannot be with a holy God. And, and because of that, Jesus came. Because of my sinful, because of our sinfulness, Jesus came. And when we, and the only way that we're going to understand how valuable that foundation we stand upon is when we realize that we are sinners and deserve God's condemnation and, and his, his punishment. Absolutely. That foundation becomes so important to us when we understand the very identity of Jesus. That he is God. He's Lord and Christ. It's proven through the miracles, through the wonders and signs. It all points to him. And it's, it's reviewed or, or seen through the scriptures throughout the Old Testament and the New as those eyewitnesses. Jesus came to die for you and I. His death was purposeful, intentional. That's why we could go to that John 3, 16 and say, for God so loved the world. Why? Because he did this for you and I. He did it for, for everyone so that they'd have an opportunity to be reunited with their creator in righteousness and holiness only through Jesus. Is that your foundation? If, if it's not, I challenge you, hey, consider what his word says says he has established salvation for you and I he's established the salvation for you and I and we have the opportunity to to become his children through Jesus Christ then we gather together to do what worship and praise him for all that he's done the fact that he sent Jesus the fact that he poured out his spirit upon us that we could live as his children live as his children let's let's pray father in heaven we praise you and thank you for this day we praise you lord for your word for peter's sermon that day how important that is laying out the very details the very reasons lord the facts that that we could be confident in what we have in christ that that when it comes to our salvation our confidence is not on our conduct and, and those things, those times when we fail, Lord. Our confidence is found in what Jesus has done for us. He is that perfect sacrifice sent, uh, sent from you, Lord, to come into this world to die at the hands of humanity, but to be raised by you, proving his identity to be Lord and Savior. And we praise you for that this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.